With that in mind, let's jump in this morning. What on earth am I here for? Ask somebody, what on earth am I here for? What, what, in, what on earth am I here for? It's the question of the ages. People have been asking that for centuries, and, and uh, it's birthed uh, from the, uh, I'll say, wildly popular book called The Purpose Driven Life, which a man by the name of Rick Warren wrote many, many years ago. It's a worldwide bestseller. Uh, and they repackaged it into what on earth am I here for? Many of you have, may have read the book. You may in the, be in the middle of reading the book. It's a 40-day devotional for you that are visiting with us. And it's some of the simplest but yet most profound and life-changing uh, principles and, and, and teaching that you'll ever find come from, from anything other than the Word of God. And some of you may say, well, I just read the Bible. Well, there's over 3,000 biblical references and quotations from Scripture in this 40-day devotional. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you have not, on your own at, at the time of your choosing, Get a copy of What on Earth Am I Here For? and began to read through the daily devotionals. There's a lot of online tools and resources that you can tap into, and you can discover the five purposes that will... Let me just show you what you'll discover. We're, we're going to jump into the purpose number three this morning. In a moment, you're created to become like Christ. That's called what? Discipleship. That's number three, but here's number one. You'll discover you were planned for God's pleasure. That's called worship. It's where you begin to center your life around God and where you learn to give Him glory, not just with your words, but with your ways. How many of you know worship is not a song service? It's much more than a song service. It's a way of life. And we've learned, and you'll learn more if you, you go through this, that worship has more to do with how we live our life than what we say. But if you live your life the way that would honor God, it will come out of your mouth. That's what I quoted a few moments ago. We offer unto God the sacrifice of our lips, the, that is the fruit of our lips, giving praise to His name. So with our words and with our ways, we worship and honor God. You were created to be a blessing to God. And then number two, we learned last week, you were formed for God's family. That's fellowship. More and more, people will begin to understand the value of the local church. This morning, we had what's called Sunday circles. You see our tables around. We, we gather together in circles and discuss things concerning God's Word, and we grow together. We build relationships together. Uh, those relationships are hugely profound. Let me ask you this. How many of you have some relationships in your life that if so, that, that when you look at them, you think, you know what, those relationships are priceless and you value those relationships more than money and silver and gold. How many of you have begun to learn the value of relationships? Man, yeah, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't want to be without the relationships I have and more and more so we need them. It's called fellowship. We were created for God's family. We're a family of faith. Uh, and so that's where we've been. This morning, we're going to introduce the, the third purpose that I just shared with you. You were created to become like Christ. That's called what? Discipleship. Everyone say it. Discipleship. You see, here's what happened. We were all created in the image of God, right? The Bible says we're created in the image of God, and in the image of God, He created us, male and female. We're created in the image, in the likeness of God, not just, not biologically, but in our makeup. In fact, you were, you, did you know your three parts? Your body, 
your soul, that soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions, kind of your personality, who you are, your individuality, your, your body, your soul, and your spirit. The Bible says there's a spirit in man, and that spirit is where we fellowship with God. But what happened? Man became, man did what? Adam and Eve did what? They introduced sin into our world. And that sin did what? It separated us from God. Though we were made in the image of God because of sin, we were separated. And Jesus came to planet earth. He lived a sinless life and he died on the cross, buried in a borrowed tomb. And then three days he wrote, three days later, he rose again. Uh, and the scripture calls that the gospel, the good news. You know why it's good news? Somebody say, why is it good news, pastor? It's good news. In fact, it's great news. It's good news because God and man, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did on the cross, God and man can come back into fellowship with each other because Jesus at the cross with his shed blood washed us white as snow. Now, in order to be beneficiaries of that reconciliation with God, we have to trust the Lord and believe God that he did exactly what I just said, that he died on the cross for your sins and he was buried in a borrowed tomb and three days later he rose again. That's called the gospel. That's the good news. And if you put your trust in Jesus and you say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me, and for, for rising again the third day so I could have a new life as well. And, and you say, I believe that with all my heart. And I invite him into my life to be the Lord and the leader of my life. Confess him as the Lord. The Bible says you'll be saved. You'll become his child. All the children of God say amen. And once that happens, in fact, by the way, let me give you a little word study. We're going to look at some Bible words. In fact, we're going to look at some Bible words about what it means to grow spiritually here in just a moment. But here's a Bible word that defines what I just explained to you. It's called, it's justification. Everyone say justification. Justification in scripture, it's the Bible says we are justified. To help you understand its meaning, it's, (coughs) pardon me, it's you become just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. That happens instantaneously. When you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, you don't have to work your way back to God. You don't have to try to figure out how to get good enough to get to God. He miraculously uh, uh, cleanses you and you are, everybody say justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. And once that happens, then you and I here on planet earth begin the process, and it is a process called discipleship, the process of restoring our likeness to the likeness of Christ, becoming more and more like Christ. How many of you can look back over time and say, Shazam, uh, things have changed in my life since I gave my life to Christ. I mean, you're not little baby on the, you know, it's, you're growing spiritually and, and spiritual growth and discipleship is a process. Are you with me so far? Say, I'm with you, pastor. It's the process. And if you look around this morning, what do you see? You see all different levels and, and people all in them in their process. That's why you're here today. Because you want something to change and be transformed in your life. That's called discipleship. It's not accidental. It's not, uh, you don't just happen. Justification is instantaneous. But spiritual maturity, becoming like Christ, is a lifelong process. 
that we've got to uh, be proactive in. With that in mind, let me shoot you some Bible words real quickly uh, that, that are all, they all have maybe a little, some of the same meanings, a little different meaning, but they all describe this process of becoming like Christ. The first one, sanctification. You'll see this word in the New Testament in a number of places. Uh, it's the process of becoming like Christ or being holy and righteous before God and God is involved, the Holy Spirit is involved in our sanctification, uh, but we've got to be involved as well. Uh, in fact, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says, now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. If you want to do a word study on that, you can. Sanctified, sanctification, sa- uh, uh, those three words, they all basically mean becoming like Christ, becoming holy. Here's another one, the word Transformation. Uh, that's a, this is a great Bible word. Uh, it's used in Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. It says this basically, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Somebody say transformed. And I think the word is where we get the word uh, metamorphosis, that transformation. Metamorphosis is like the, the ugly little uh, ooey-gooey uh, wiggly worm being transformed in his cocoon or its cocoon into a beautiful what? Butterfly. That's, that's, that's metamorphosis. That's transformation. Paul said this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's that word by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you've got to allow God in to begin to wash your brain. Somebody said all those Christians, they're just brainwashed. That is correct. Hopefully we just chose who went washing on our brains. And believe me, all of us need a little rub-a-dub-dub. I'm telling you, it's the process of becoming more like Christ. And it begins with how we think. How many of you know if you th- the way you think determines who you are? What? Some of you got nervous there because you're not so happy with what you're thinking. How you think determines what you do, and what you do determines who you are. And so these are Bible words. Here's another one that maybe is a little misunderstood, uh, perfection. Now, how many of you know there's no perfect people, uh, just a perfect God? And we'll never be perfect. And this word uh, does not mean that because there's only one perfect God. It, it really just means whole and complete. Uh, Hebrews 6, 1, it says, let us go on to perfection. He's talking about spiritual maturity. Let this process continue. Here's another one, completion. Uh, it, it has to do with being more like Christ. Colossians 4.12, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That's God's plan for us. Paul basically said this in Colossians. He said, he, he said he's working in me, both to do, will and to do of his good pleasure. That, that process of be, becoming like Christ. And here's one that is uh, used in different forms. It's maturity or maturation. Uh, Philippians 3.15 says, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, which is the mind of Christ, by the way. So for all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, because in the New Testament, this, this introduction of becoming like Christ is so clear. This being restored into who we were created to be uh, uh, is made clear. It is a process, and it will continue uh, until we meet him face to face. And the Bible says when we'll see, when we see him, I think this is in Corinthians, it says when we see him, we'll be like him. I mean, that process will be complete. Everybody go, hallelujah. 
And let me just tell you, one day, let me, I don't know what you, what you believe, but I'm telling you what I know to be true. One day, I will, I will meet him face to face. I'll either pass from this life or we'll be raptured into that life and I'll meet him. And when that happens, uh, my, the process of becoming like him will be complete and fulfilled. And I'll be like him for I'll see him just as he is. Ooh, somebody say amen. And so there's some Bible words that ought to stir you and cause you to ask yourself, am I allowing this process to be made manifest in my life? Am I allowing the sanctification, becoming holy and righteous? Am I allowing the metamorphosis, the transformation, the perfection, the completion, and the maturation of Christ to be made real in my life? You got to ask yourself those questions and then begin to determine what do I need to do in order for that process to continue to becoming more and more like Christ. This morning, I want to give you some uh, some developmental ideas, some ideas that you and I can implore and employ in our life, some principles, some biblical insights in our life to help us keep this process moving forward. Spiritual growth is developed in a number of different ways. I just want to give you seven very quickly. And you, if you take just three or four of these, some, one of them might just stand out in your mind and your eye and your thoughts and you just go to work on it. But hey, if you get a chance, either take a picture, uh, or, uh, or uh, write, take notes. However, get these thoughts down and this week just begin to meditate on them because hey, in your, uh, in your What on Earth Am I Here For book, this Monday, you begin, you know, seven days of, 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 uh, of thinking, pondering, learning, and growing, and determining uh, what it means to grow spiritually. And I want to encourage you to do that this week. Listen, there's a lot can happen in seven days. I mean, there's a lot. Some of you may be looking at your life and going, preacher, come on. Man, listen, let me tell you, God has a way of cleaning us up and getting us on track. Anybody ever use Google Maps or GPS or any of those kind of things? Have you ever gotten off track? In fact, Beverly and I, uh, we were headed, we were headed to the wedding. And, and so, uh, and I've, she's not here. Edit this out of the tape. I tell her, do not use that program. Use Google Maps. And she doesn't. And so she typed in the wrong, and we went the wrong way. And I'm going, Beverly, did you use Google Maps? Well, I tapped, I said, no, and then she started blaming on her phone. I'm going, okay, but we got off track. But so we finally pulled over. I pulled out my phone. She said, well, get your phone, pulled out and, and typed it in. And, and you know what happened? It just led us right there. But that's the cool thing about God. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It don't matter how far off track you got. It doesn't matter how messed up you might have been and made a mess of your life. When you look to him and say, help me, Jesus, he'll put you right back on track. Amen. Everybody go, help me, Jesus. <laughs> now, y'all don't tell Beverly I talked about her, but she's the only wife I've ever had. And my kids are all moved out now, so what other illustrations do I have? Amen. I, you know, uh, you know, my dog, he's, uh, she's, she's in a mess anyway. So here we go. So here we go. I want to give you some principles and, and some, some spiritual growth things that you can employ in your life that will feed you spiritually. Are you with me? Are you ready to go? The first one is desire. You've got to have a desire to grow spiritually. 
If you don't hunger after this process of becoming more like him, uh, you will not grow spiritually. It takes desire. I'm telling you, I love food. How many of you love food? I just say, thank you, Jesus, for this bread. Whoo, hallelujah. We had a great, we had some blessings today at Sunday Circles. There were donuts. I ate three Shipley's donuts, a few uh, uh, donut holes, and I ate one of those muffins. Lord, help me, Jesus. I don't know if that'll help. It'll help me grow in the wrong places. But there's a desire there, right? In fact, 1 Peter 2, 2 says this, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You got to desire it. Now, when you were a little baby, it's, it's a natural born desire. Your little children, when, whether their mothers, you, I don't want to get, whether you breastfed or you fed them with a bottle, it's irrelevant. They know, they, they desire nourishment as little babies. And that's what the scripture says. Peter was making this illustration clear. Just like you desire food that makes you grow thereby, you got to desire the sincere, and that means the unadulterated, the unpolluted, the un, uh, uh, you know, all, hey, the pure milk of God's word that will cause you to grow thereby. It begins with desire. Amen. If you don't have a desire to follow Christ, if you don't have a desire to grow spiritually, you need today say, God, whatever it is that has polluted my desire for the word of God and the ways of God in my life, Lord, forgive me. I want to return to you and desire who you are and what you can be. I want to be more like you, Jesus. It begins with desire. God ignite the desires. Y'all know what desire is, I mean, do, do we need to continue? I mean, how many of you desire, how many of you just desire bluebell ice cream? Trish makes something in a hot frying pan. What do you call it? Apple, skillet apple pie. I'd knock three of you down to get a piece of that. <laughs> Whoo, Jesus. It'll turn, it'll turn me into mush, I can tell you. You know what desire is. You got to transfer that towards him. Are you with me? Amen. Number two, another real developmental tool that you've got to employ in your life, really on a daily basis, uh, and the lifestyle. It's got to be your lifestyle. It's not just desire. You know, you can desire things, but then you've got to make a decision. There's a, a decision that has to, you have to come to uh, in your life. Matthew four nineteen. Jesus looked at disciples and he says, "Follow me. Watch this. Follow me, and I will make you." to become fishers of men. In other words, there'll be a process of transformation happen in your life. If you're sick and tired of who you are, if you're sick and tired of just sitting here, uh, you know, and trying to figure out how to make another dollar to get by and pay the bills and this whole hum, the tune is dumb kind of life. If you'd like to live a life of purpose and discover what on earth am I here for? Why don't you just follow me? And the Bible says, especially in Luke 4, they, they left their nets. They made a decision. We used to sing this little simple song growing up and, and we would give an altar call. You know, when in, in my parents' day, it was just as I am. They would play that at the Baptist church, just as I am. And, and the kind of the humorous. Now, now let's just sing verse number 27 and another chorus of just as I am as you come. 
and people would come. I actually responded to an altar call where they, where they played Just As I Am Without One Plea. Uh, it's a great hymn and is used. Many people came to the altar under that, the influence of the gospel in that song. But then as we got into the, you know, the Jesus movement, we began to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have this. Oh, you know, they get the picture. I got a lot of my friends that sang the song, but the decision was really not there. And spiritual growth is developed by a decision that says, I'm going to employ the process. I have decided. I'm not, wa- I'm not waffling back and forth. How many of you know, uh, you're either all in or all out. There's no fence riding with God. It's a decision. I'm following him or I'm following after my own desires and will and ways. And there's a lot of, pardon me, a lot of people in life who want to do what they want to do and somehow expect to grow spiritually and become more like Christ. It doesn't happen that way. You've got to decide to follow him. And if you just, if you choose to follow him, he will lead you down the road of spiritual maturity. To grow spiritually. That's what he said. If you follow me, I'll make you into something. I'll tra- There's a, the transformation process, the perfection, the completion, the maturity, the sanctification of God. They'll all begin to be, uh, be engaged in your life and you'll begin to grow spiritually. It's desire. It's decision. And here's one. Don't shout me down now. Here's another thing you and I need to understand. It's also death. <laughs> Everybody go, <laughs> John 12, Jesus gives an illustration about a seed. He said, unless a seed, and he's talking about his body, basically his own life, but then he brings it to us. Unless a seed falls into the ground and does what? And dies, it abides alone. And then he goes on and he talks about the fact that if we're going to follow him, we've got to forsake our own ways. We've got to forsake ourselves and we've got to follow him. In other words, it's death to my desires, death to my life, death to my, my dreams and aspirations. You say, oh, pastor, don't talk that way. Listen, that's what he said. Jesus died for us. He said he was buried. We're buried with him through baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. And so so uh, you've got to just say, hey, you know, my way, I, I, don't, I don't want me to be Lord. I want him to be Lord. And I'm going to die. In fact, did you know Paul the apostle said this? He said, I die daily. Everybody say, I die daily. Well, how can that happen? How many of you know every day you have to battle yourself? It's called the flesh. Or, or, or have, if there's anybody here who has gotten total victory over yourself, could you let me know because we may bow down and worship you today. I don't know. Anybody here have got the victory over yourself and, and you just don't have any problem? No, we all battle our flesh, right? We all, you know, we all realize there's something on the inside of us that goes, oh, feed me. Oh, no, I need, and it's the flesh. And we've got to daily die to our flesh and, and choose the life of God. Amen. If you let, if you let the flesh continue to live and control your life, you know, you pet the flesh. Oh yeah, flesh. You know, pastor, I'll come to church every once in a while, but don't you mess with this over here. This is mine. Well, it ain't me. It's, hey, God says, Hey, have no other idols or gods before me. 
We've got to die to ourselves, die to our flesh. Paul said, I, we're dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God through Christ Jesus. You see, before you gave your life to Christ, sin controlled your life. But once you say yes to Jesus, you have the power to put to death that sin nature and that flesh and say, no, you're not in charge here. Jesus is in charge of my life and I'm dying to my own self and I'm following after you. I want the new life that you have for me. And everybody said, amen. Those are spiritual growth principles. Desire, decision, death. Here's another biggie, dependence. There's a dependence that we, listen, you, you cannot become like Christ in your own power. People don't like to be dependent on things. I'm telling you. Jim had a, had surgery on his knee here a while back and he had a little assistance. How many, you wanted to, by day three, you're ready to throw that, that cane out. You didn't want, that's embarrassing. I don't want that cane, but you had to, you had to depend upon it some. And we all, and, and nobody likes to feel dependent, but let me tell you something. If you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to become dependent on some things. Absolutely depend. You know, I can't live all by myself. I don't need any help from anybody. No, there's, there, Catch this. Let me give you three things the scripture says you and I have got to be absolutely dependent on if we're going to grow spiritually. Number one, we have to have absolute dependence upon the spirit of God. In fact, Jesus said, don't worry to his disciples. I'm going to the father, but I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. Everybody say help you. In fact, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, it talks about being transformed and changed. It says we're, we're, uh, we're in the process of being changed even as and by the power of the Spirit of God in our life. You see, you can't change your life. You can decide to change, but once you decide to change, then you've got to depend upon the Holy Spirit of God to co- cooperate with your decisions and your daily choices to be more like God. You, the Holy Spirit Spirit's not a bully. He's a dove. And you've got to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. Let the transformation process begin. Wash me, cleanse me, heal me, help me, guide me. I need that. Hey, he'll help you. Absolute dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said when he left planet Earth, he told his disciples, now, hey, listen, I'm going to the Father, but you go to Jerusalem and you gather up and you start praying and you wait for the promise of the Father. Don't you leave Jerusalem until you've got the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. Absolute dependence on the Spirit of God. Number two, we have to have absolute dependence upon the truth of God. That is, God's word, John 17. Let me flip over there for you. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Here we go. John 17, 17. I think that's it. Let me look here. It says this. Yes. Uh, oh, let me, yeah, verse 17. Jesus is praying for us before he, uh, he dies and is buried and rises again. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Let's say that together. Your word is truth. This is not just a good history book. It's his story. It is the word of God. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and I ask people all the time that are going through struggles and tr- tr- troubles and they come to me and I, I just, I ask them a few questions. Have you been praying? Oh, uh, have you been reading the Bible? Oh, I don't know. I, you know, well, let me just tell you. If you'll just take a little time and pray, 
and you'll begin to seek God and you'll begin to get into his word, things will begin to change in your life. Because Jesus prayed this. He said, sanctify them by your truth. How many of you, when you look at the political, the political and the national culture of our day, you just go, what in the world is going on? What is true and not true? Is there a big secret society behind all this madness that are pulling the strings? Oh, you know, I'm not a, what is that? A, a, well, I, I don't, well, I'll stop. I'll just say, listen, there's a lot of question marks we have in life. But I want to tell you something. This word is true and righteous altogether. We've got to be absolutely dependent upon the Word of God. It doesn't change. It's forever the same. And it, and it will sanctify us, make us more like Christ. When we read His Word and we yield our lives to His Word, this morning in circles, we memorize verses. We dropped them down in our heart. Uh, Psalm 1, uh, meditate on the law of the Lord. The one who meditates on the law of the Lord, he'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water which yields its fruit in its season. That leaf shall not wither. And whatsoever he does will prosper. Boom shakalaka. Somebody say, I like that one. It's the truth of God that changes us. And we've got to have absolute dependence. Listen. This is, this is not just some little book we get to read in a, in a jam and a pinch and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, pull out a promise every once in a while. Most people, when they pull out a promise, they're misappropriating it and not lining up with the conditions necessary in the first place. You get the whole truth and the whole counsel of God. It will begin to transform your life. I love what Rick Warren said. Uh, he said this about daily Bible reading. He said, daily Bible reading will keep you in range of God's voice. I love that. Daily Bible reading will keep you in range of God's voice. You'll hear His voice in your life. There's got to be an absolute dependence. If you're going to grow spiritually, you got to have a desire. You got to make some decisions. You got to die to your own way and you got to be totally dependent on the Spirit of God, the truth of God. And let me give you number three, which most people, some people, if you can swallow one and two, it's kind of hard to swallow number three, not you guys, because you're here. You got to be dependent upon not only the Spirit of God and the truth of God, but the family of God. Everyone say this. It's not in your notes. It's not up here. Uh, spiritual maturity is not a lone ranger activity. Some of you teenagers are going, who's a lone ranger? Well, let me throw another one. Tonto. You got to know that. I mean, hey, it, it's a, it's, you cannot grow spiritually all by yourself. You know, there's some religions that think you're more spiritual when you climb up a mountain, get all by yourself and hang out and, and seclude yourself from the, uh, from the world. And, uh, you know, what, what did Jesus say? He says, you got to be in the world, but not of the world. You can't, you're never going to be out of this world till he comes back. And so, uh, you got to learn to be in the world, uh, but not of the world and the family of God. In fact, Ephesians 4.16 says, when we all join together and do our part, it causes growth. 
How many of you know if I cut off my big toe and threw it in the altar as a living sacrifice, it would not be a living sacrifice? And that toe would be basically dead before it hit the ground because it had been severed from the family of faith. Some of you are saying, oh, pastor, you're getting too gory in church. Just be glad you didn't live in the Old Testament. It was a bloody place. The priest would walk out <gasps> like he had been in the woods killing a bar. Hey, we live in the New Testament, thank God. But listen, the family of God, you gotta, we got to depend upon one another. Spiritual growth is developed when we desire to grow spiritually, when we make decisions to grow spiritually, when we die to ourselves and learn to depend upon the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the family of God. And then it takes number five, let me give you this one, discipline. It takes discipline, daily discipline in our life. Paul told Timothy, his son in the faith, he said, exercise yourself to, for the purpose of godliness, spiritual exercise. Beverly and I met some friends that we hadn't seen in a while. Both of us, I'm gaining a little back. Maybe she is too. We lost combined uh, 20, 30, combined about 25, 30, maybe 40 pounds. I don't know. I don't think 40, but 35 pounds. We both lost, and she lost the most of it. Uh, and one of our friends said, how'd you lose this weight? I said, I remodeled a house, ate like a horse. And remodel a house. And now that my remodeling project's over, uh-oh, something's happening. But it, it was discipline. My wife was more disciplined than I. She, she would eat rabbit food. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, and then say, don't eat ice cream and then bring me a dilly bar. What is that up to? What is she up to on that? I don't know. And that, another, she's another, she would go to Dairy Queen and say, I want that sugar-free dilly bar. I said, it is not sugar-free. It's no sugar added. It's about the same thing. Uh, but she felt better. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus, for the dilly bar. Uh, but discipline, it takes daily discipline. Listen, uh, in fact, I love this uh, Philippians 2.12. I'm going to turn there. And by the way, I don't have a clue what time it is, so you're in serious trouble today. Uh, Philippians, I want to show you this. This is in the book, and I loved it. I just want to show you Philippians 2. Uh, where he says, work out uh, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, is it Philippians 2.2? Philippians 2.12. He said this. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. Everyone say, work out. Anybody ever work out? <laughs> Not me. I, I just, I'll remodel something. I'll mow the grass, cut wood. I'll do all that stuff. But getting on a treadmill and going and that's embarrassing. Okay. I just don't do that much. I probably should. Uh, but he says, work out your own salvation. He's not about, you're not talking about working out how to get saved, but he, this process of life, this being born again life, you got to work it out. And if you work out, he'll work in. Say, if I'll work out, he'll work in. You got to get that. Everybody say, if I'll work it out, he'll work it in. But if you're not working it out, he's not working it in. Are you with me? It takes discipline. If you work it out, he'll work it in. And, and let me, spiritual maturity doesn't happen in a day. Any of you ever pumped iron for the day and went home and looked in the mirror and went, 
It ain't working. It doesn't happen in a day. Spiritual maturity doesn't happen in a day. Everybody say it doesn't happen in a day. How does it happen? It happens daily. It's discipline. Let me give you two more quickly. Spiritual growth tools. Spiritual growth developed not only by discipline, but by deliverance. Everyone say deliverance. Now, you Pentecostals think you know what I'm talking about, but you don't know what I'm talking about. Turn to 1 Timothy 4, 6. Most of you think, uh, are you saying I have a demon? Uh, no, look in 1 Timothy 4, 6. I'm going to show you this. Paul telling Timothy an important thing because this word deliverance has a couple of meanings. You Pentecostals think, think of it this way. Come out, you foul devil. I'm not talking about being possessed. All right. I heard one guy praying for somebody and he got it mixed up. He said, come out of that demon woman. Some of you got to think about that a minute. But here's what he said. First Timothy, look what he tells Timothy in first Timothy four, six, because the word deliverance also means a formal or authoritative utterance. You ever heard anybody say, oh, did you hear his speech? His deliverance was exceptional. It means a formal formal or authoritative utterance. Look what Paul tells Timothy and what he connects to it. First Timothy 4 verse 6. And I won't tell you what he was. He said, if you instruct the brethren in these things, we won't talk about these things as biblical principles. If you instruct the brethren in these things, in other words, if you make a formal and authoritative utterance, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Did you catch what I just said to you? If you will begin to share with the authority of God in your life what you have learned, and as you begin to grow, you share it with other people, and you share the word and the principles and the truth, and it is uttered out of your mouth. Some people say, well, I'm just going to smile and nod. Listen, dope addicts can smile and nod. Alcoholics can really smile and nod. You get them in the right atmosphere. Spiritual growth happens not only when you work it within you, but you work it out and then it becomes a place where you share it with other people. Paul told Timothy, if you want to be strong spiritually, you got to begin to share what I'm sharing with you. You got to go and tell. You got to begin to positively and, 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 and boldly and confidently proclaim the word of God in your life to others that need it and it will be as food to your soul. Amen. And then finally, let me give you number seven. Spiritual growth is developed by doing. It's not just in what you say, but what you do. In fact, James 1, James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. In fact, he goes on to say, if you're a doer of the word, you'll, you'll be blessed in whatever you do. In other words, if you not just believe it, but you begin to appropriate it and obey what the Bible says and, and, and be, and, and activate the command of God in your life and, and the word of God in your life and say, you know what? I'm not just going to say I believe it, but I'm going to show the world that I believe it by following after and doing what he told me to do. I'm going to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. James says, if you're a hearer only, in fact, you know what? In this room here today, I don't want to be too critiquing here. I don't want to point too many 
many fingers here, but I've just been pastoring way too long. And here's what I've learned about a lot of people. They hear it and say amen to it, but before they get to the car, they forgot what I said and they are not doers of the word. They're hearers only. And they think because they came to church and sat in a pew or in a chair and sang a song and said amen and hallelujah and walk out and don't do anything about what the word of God says in their life. They're deceiving themselves. You gotta activate the word. You gotta say, I'm doing that. I heard a testimony this morning by way of video on Facebook. A friend of mine shared it. Young woman looked like in her 20s. And she began to tell the story about when she was young. She had, she was rebellious to the core. Raised in a somewhat Christian home, it seemed to me by her testimony. But she rebelled against it. She said, I was rebellious to the core. And she said, when I was, I think 17, I can't remember. She said, I entered into a lesbian homosexual relationship. And for numbers of years, she lived that lifestyle. And, and I'll put pause. What does our culture say? They were born that way. I mean, you know, the scripture is absolutely contrary to that mindset they can't help it they're born that way well like one preacher friend of mine over in houston texas brother c.l jackson from pleasant grove missionary baptist church in houston texas he says well people said i was born that way he said well i got an answer for you you just need to be born again well this little girl she told her story now you catch me here you listen Her aunt invited her to a Bible study. And she said, you know, I decided I'd go to the Bible study because my aunt, she's my aunt, and I didn't want to hurt my aunt's feelings. She said, but I was ready the first second somebody said my lifestyle was was unbiblical. I was ready to walk out. She went to the Bible study and got some Bible study tools and began to hear about the choices. And she realized that she'd been making excuses for her lifestyle and trying to make the Bible fit the way she was living. And one day she just realized, I'm a sinner. And she just began to obey the Bible. Gave her life to Christ. Gloriously born again. She's not, she, she's not a homosexual She's a believer. And she just began to do what the Bible said because somebody shared with her an invitation. She was transformed. Everybody say it works. And it is a process. Let's stand together.